Today we shall continue with our short series of Pratna Dhamma talks on you know, the gradual path of training and you know, today we shall you know, explore, uh, well, what do you think? Huh? Well, um, you have any idea? <laughs> no? Yesterday was mindfulness and clear comprehension. And then? This will be followed by well, by the five hindrances, of course. <laughs> by you know, what is happening in your meditation, in, in the meditation practice of some you know, meditators here. And um, so, I'm always trying to you know, well, you know, give these Dhamma talks uh, you know, kind of uh, you know, timely, timely so that they you know, really correspond to you know, what uh, the majority is uh, experiencing. But it's not always uh, easy because you know, there's some uh, who uh, have well, you know, advanced quickly and others uh, who take uh, a little bit more time. Anyways, the main steps or main stations on the you know, gradual path of training you know, consist, as you know, we've explained, um, of you know, the initial you know, gaining of some faith, namely in the Dhamma and then in the Buddha. And you know, this then is followed by you know, right thought, you know, Nekama in the Pali scripture, or Samasankapa in the form of Nekama, which is you know, renunciation. So, you know, temporary or you know, permanent renunciation of uh, one's household life. And uh, this then, you know, the next major step on the gradual path of training of a meditator is you know, that of training in virtue, sila, and you know, then um, restraint of the senses is another important aspect along the path. And um, uh, then uh, after this certainly uh, come mindfulness and certainly uh, clear comprehension and uh, we dealt with, with these two uh, yesterday. Now today you know, we need to, or it's high time, you know, to explore you know, the five hindrances. Now, first of all, to give you a quote from the text, and I don't even know exactly what, or I can't even give you the exact reference, but it's definitely from the Buddha's words on the five hindrances. A meditator has cast away the sense desire, karma chanda. He or she dwells you know, with a heart free from sense desire. From sense desire, he or she cleanses you know, the heart. A meditator has cast away aversion, pyapada, and here she dwells with a heart free from aversion, cherishing love and compassion towards all living beings. The meditator cleanses his or her heart from aversion. And a meditator then has cast away sloth and torpor, tina meda. Here she dwells free from sloth and torpor, loving the light with watchful mind, with clear comprehension. The meditator cleanses the mind from sloth and torpor. 
A meditator has cast away restlessness and remorse. Udhacha in Kukucha, Impani dwelling with mind undisturbed, with heart full of peace. And the meditator cleanses the mind from restlessness and remorse. And the last one is. A meditator has cast away doubts, wichikicha, impani, dwelling free from doubt, full of confidence in the good, he or she cleanses the heart from doubt. So, this much uh, regarding the the text, the relevant text on the five uh, hindrances uh, as given in the context of the gradual path of uh, training. Now, these hindrances are uh, interesting. Interesting in the sense that in a group of meditators, like our group here, um, a group of meditators who all start at the same day and so you know, then meditate together you know, following more or less the same you know, schedule, well, these hindrances you know, come up uh, for most people uh, more or less around uh, the same time. So, a few days certainly into a retreat, the hindrances are there. When one starts out, the main difficulties lie in the arising of frequent wandering minds and sloth and torpor. After a while, after battling these, they kind of subside temporarily, and and then sooner or later, the hindrances come or arise full on. And these hindrances in the Pali scriptural languages, language are known as the Pancha Nivarani. Pancha stands for five, and Nivarana is the hindrance, Nivarani is plural. So the five hindrances. Now, why are they called the hindrances? Because they obstruct the way to a heavenly rebirth and they also obstruct or hinder the attainment of Nibbana. Now, we've said that these hindrances occur in the context of the Vipassana or Satipatthana meditation. Do these same five hindrances occur also in the context of some other meditation? And if so, which one? Who knows? Samatha, yes, indeed. And so, there they occur, like in the Satipatthana meditation, at least at the very beginning, and namely before the um, the, the jhanic factors can arise. The jhanic factors connected with the first uh, jhana. Now, these hindrances, as uh, the the term indicates already, what do you think? Are they tremendously wholesome in nature or tremendously unwholesome in nature? 
unwholesome, of course. And so as such, be prepared that they'll give you trouble in one way or another. And the hindrances, these five hindrances are um, well part of the um, mental defilements, the so-called kilesas, the 14 kilesas. And so about the defilements, it is said you know, that they defile the mind, they torment the mind in which they arise, they burn the mind in which they arise, and you know, they soil the mind and they drag a being you know, to a lower state uh, in whose mind uh, they uh, arise. And so, so there's uh, obviously not much good you know, that uh, uh, goes along with these uh, five hindrances. Now, the five hindrances even though you know, they're, they're given as five in number, in actuality you know, there are more to them, namely uh, there are you know, seven to them. One, Seven, and so in a, in a wider sense, uh, you know, that we can include even uh, ignorance. And the reason why they are not just uh, five but seven has to do with the fact that you know, the, you know, the hindrance of sloth and torpor actually consists of two unwholesome mental states. Sloth is one, and torpor is another one. And the hindrance, restlessness, and remorse. You know, in terms of mental states, also figures as two, namely you know, restlessness, udicca being one, and kukucha, you know, remorse or worry, you know, being you know, the second one. And there are you know, different um, you know, classifications or different numbers of hindrances around and uh, sometimes uh, they are also mentioned in connection with um, ignorance as uh, the last one. And uh, this is obvious since all unwholesome mental states are always or always arise in connection with ignorance awakens. Now an illustration that is given in the Anguttara Nikaya, namely as follows. There are five impurities of gold which make it very difficult to work this gold. And so uh, when gold is impaired by these certain five impurities, and then it is not pliant, not wieldy, lacks radiance, is brittle, and cannot be wrought well. Now, what are those five impurities? Namely, iron, copper, tin, lead, and silver. However, it is certainly said you know, that when and that's uh, you know, the experience of a goldsmith, when gold is free you know, from you know, these five impurities of iron, copper, tin, lead, and silver, you know, then it will be pliant and wieldy, radiant and firm, and can be wrought well into various kinds of uh, ornaments. Now. Likewise for a mind. 
a mind in which uh, the five hindrances uh, arise. A mind in which the five hindrances, uh, uh, the five impurities arise is not pliant, is not wieldy, lacks radiance, is brittle and cannot be formed or wrought well. However, a mind freed of those five hindrances is pliant, is wieldy, is radiant and firm and can be wrought uh, well. Now, in the Samatha practice, the, as long as the hindrances arise in one's stream of consciousness, then a meditator cannot reach this neighborhood concentration, upachara samadhi, nor full concentration. And likewise, in the presence of the hindrances, a meditator, a vipassana a meditator, cannot clearly discern well mind from matter. Now, the the hindrances occur, are given in a certain sequence and oftentimes they also occur uh, in practice in uh, this sequence although uh, frequently meditators don't necessarily or don't feel comfortable uh, to mention uh, the first uh, hindrance which is certain sense uh, desire. Now, to explain the Vipassana the psychological you know, point of view you know, with regard to the development of those hindrances. Um, what we have to understand is that the mind in its ordinary state, so untrained, untamed state, likes to, well, be wild. And it likes to, it enjoys its freedom of going wherever it pleases. So it loves roaming around, going here, going there, going into the future, going into the past, and all these of things. Now, then comes the terrible day for this untamed mind that when we start certainly to subjugate it to a Vipassana retreat. <laughs> and indeed, bad news for the mind. <laughs> And so, the reason is that we, well, we, what's the word for that? Um, I'm looking for a particular word. Well, we expose it to this mindfulness practice. And to make things worse, it's even Mahasi-style mindfulness practice, where meditators are called to be mindful from moment to moment without any gap. And so... Um, 
as uh, the uh, meditator is uh, well uh, starting to be mindful from moment to moment and is not uh, giving in to it, the mind starts resenting it. And it uh, thinks, well, you know, this is a pretty awkward certain situation. How do I get out of this? <laughs> and so, and so then it comes up you know, with all sorts of sensuous thoughts. Thoughts about you know, the wonderful food you know, that Beth is going to prepare tomorrow and how one will enjoy this and how one will take a second helping, if not a third helping. Or while one, while one is exposing um, this mind, to this uh, thorough uh, and uh, sometimes even cruel training of Vipassana, uh, the mind will start thinking of the well, one's relatives, one's near and dear ones, one's loved ones, such as one's husband or one's wife or partner or child or even one's grandchild or one's niece and one longs for them. And one imagine, one sits there in meditation, one says, forget about this rising and falling. I've spent already enough time on it. The next interview is far away. So let me use the time in between to, well, at least mentally visit my relatives. <laughs> and then one gets oneself into some longing and mentally enjoying being with them and you know just thinking how all of this would be. Now, unfortunately, there's an end to this, namely, uh, it comes in the form of the next interview, where the teacher then sternly says, please, be mindful of your sense desire, and uh, don't forget to label it, and uh, just observe it and uh, try to let go of it and try to overcome it. Now, no, that then is the end of sense desire. And so, so no, the meditator applies so, no, the instruction and then no, no, sense desire has no longer a chance to arise in the mind. And, but the mind still resents being tamed. <laughs> and so, so then he thinks, well, if I'm not allowed to think about so, you know, the food that Beth is going to prepare tomorrow, or about so, my you know, loved ones, um, or some, you know, some, you know, something else, some uh, the encounter uh, from the past, then, uh, then, uh, it suddenly goes into a different mode. And then it notices, oh, there's this meditator who's sniffing a lot in the meditation hall again and again. And I'm supposed to be mindful here. I'm supposed to develop concentration. How can I develop concentration and wisdom if this fellow meditator keeps sniffing? And 
Now, so then the mind gets totally obsessed you know, with this sniffing meditator, fellow meditator, and um, then the mind works itself into you know, well a rather angry state. And so, so what started as just a little bit of hearing, a little bit of sniffing, you know, turns into you know, something like, no, under these circumstances I can't practice, and this is too much, and maybe it's high time to leave this retreat. <laughs> Either me or the sniffing meditator. <laughs> And then, and then one even contemplates writing the person a note. <laughs> no, unfortunately, there's a rule here that meditators among each other should not write notes. Oh well, then what to do? <laughs> and so. so uh, and the, you know, the anger turns into rage, and things get really bad. And uh, so then comes the next interview, one relates this, and the meditation teacher says, oh well, did you ever consider taking this anger as an object of observation? Oh, sorry, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, so from this point onwards, the meditator you know, then um, starts being mindful of you know, this anger. And actually, I even forgot, you know, forgot to mention, you know, sometimes when this anger you know, is, arises, this hindrance of anger arises in the mind, then it gets to a point where one feels like a pressure cooker. Uh, you know, Any time this pressure cooker can explode. And so, so the situation is rather dangerous. But then, fortunately, one remembers to be mindful, and so, then eventually the anger gets diffused, and then things are okay for, for a while, but not for too long. <laughs> and the mind still resents being tamed. So it's now already the second time that you know, oh, the sense desire didn't work, getting angry didn't work either, and so then the mind says, okay, if things are like this, I'll just uh, go on strike. <laughs> and I'll do, I'll do, I'll do this, uh, no, well, uh, there's a word for it, so, well, never mind. Um, I'll just you know, be uh, non-cooperative simply by nodding. And so, so I'll use this time you know, to catch up on sleep. As you know, during the night it's quite cold in 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 your tents. It might not be all that pleasant, so maybe you didn't get enough rest. But now in the meditation hall, it's nice and warm, and so so this is a wonderful time to catch up on sleep. And so. So the mind you know, then you know, refuses you know, to observe the rising and falling or any other predominant object and instead it goes into the sleeping mode. Now this won't help you, you know, to know the true nature of the rising movement nor of the falling movement of the abdomen. And then sitting after sitting you find yourself uh, you know, nodding there. 
and so on. So you might realize, well, this is not working either. And so, so then, after a while, you, know, you remember to be mindful, and so, you know, then uh, you, you know, also raise your effort, and so, within, with this, so, you know, eventually, you know, the sloth and torpor you know, passes. However, you know, this is not the end of the story yet. And so, you know, the mind that certainly still prefers you know, to you know, go wild and to roam about and you know, to do whatever it likes, to think the you know, thoughts it likes. And so, so then it says, well, um, I'll you know, be again uh, in, not cooperative by simply getting restless. And uh, so then a meditator experiences, you know, for no particular reason, a tremendous amount of restlessness, both mental as well as certain physical. And so previously one was certainly sitting quite calmly and nodding, no problem with restlessness at that point, but certainly all of a sudden one finds oneself well, fidgeting, changing one's posture in the face of the slightest certain pain, and then well, opening the eyes and seeing, oh, what are the other meditators doing? Are they really working hard? <laughs> and so on, and then checking the time, and so, uh, checking the time, what do you think, helps or makes you <laughs> especially if you realize that there's still 10 minutes to go, you know, then you know, this won't make things easier, it will not make things easier. And so, you know, so after a while of you know, this restlessness, you know, then you might find you know, that your mind you know, suddenly you know, remembers some, well, you know, unfinished business from the past. You said something, you did something you know, that maybe after all wasn't all that great. And so, you know, now you think, hmm, I shouldn't have said this, I shouldn't have done this. And so, so you know, then regret arises, remorse arises, and you know, the mind so gets totally agitated about something that happened maybe 20 years ago. But you are right here. And so, and so as you know, this restlessness, both the restlessness and the remorse, you know, create a lot of agitation. Sooner or later, you remember the instruction to be mindful, and then eventually, eventually, both the restlessness as well as the worry and remorse suddenly die down. And so. And then the instruction still remains the same, you know, tame the mind you know, through moment-to-moment -moment mindfulness. Now, then the mind comes up with the most certain dangerous way of, uh, well, um, of a subversive or subversive you know, way of non-cooperation. 
and so then as one is sitting there and observing um, patiently observing the rising and falling or some other predominant object then thoughts uh, crop up in the mind in the form of questions I've been here already three days now uh, the end my practice is not going anywhere is this method really working? And, and then one remembers you know, some other retreat from the past, maybe some dynamic you know, you know, Vipassana meditation which should you know, seem much better in a retrospection. Hmm. And this teacher doesn't know what he's talking about. And so you know, the altitude is giving me trouble. What's the use of being here? I might as well pack my things and leave right now. And you now with all of these, if one is not mindful, uh, one becomes a victim of you know, the hindrance of skeptical doubt. And uh, skeptical doubt arises frequently in you know, you know, the form of questions and so doubting questions about the Buddha, about the Dhamma, about the Sangha, and so, you know, then um, about the meditation method, and worst of all, you know, about oneself, about one's own ability to do the practice, um, about so, you know, the timing and the place. Maybe after all it's not the right time for me and uh, maybe this is not the right, uh, right place for me and uh, maybe it's better if I just pack and uh, then pack my you know, backpack and uh, then without informing anyone you know, silently you know, walk out of this place and uh, if one were to do this, what do you think? Would this be you know, you know, the right decision or would this be a big mistake? <laughs> Jackie, what do you think? It would be the biggest mistake. <laughs> because if you were to have just five minutes more of patience, or if not five, then let's say you know, another you know, two sittings or so, then you would discover that if you were to be mindful again and you would just recognize, oh, no, no, this is not uh, these uh, no, doubting thoughts uh, are actually objects of observation and I should uh, no, no, label them, I should be mindful of them and so uh, no, those are doubting thoughts you know, so the hindrance of skeptical doubt is at work so you know, if one remembers all of this you know, then sooner or later you know, those doubting thoughts will subside and then instead some wholesome, some pleasant, some positive mental states will arise and one feels how wonderful all of this is and it was really worth coming here and one is so happy that one didn't pack one of the one sort of things and that one didn't leave the retreat. So in the course of the meditation practice, you know, things certainly may change dramatically. And so, so Satipatthana meditation you know, is an up and down affair. Sometimes it's difficult and sometimes uh, uh, you know, the practice goes quite smoothly. Now, 
So it is in these different ways that the untamed, the untrained mind uh, tries to get away you know, from the practice itself, from being trained or you know, tamed. And um, once one has overcome you know, these hindrances, then it's already much easier to work you know, with the mind. However, uh, the hindrances won't suddenly be gone forever. You know, sooner or later you know, in the practice they will crop up uh, again. And then one will have to you know, deal with them uh, anew. But when this happens a second time or a you know, third time, you know, then uh, this is uh, not bad you know, because you know, one, you know, all of this you know, will then strengthen the mind and you know, the ability, one's ability to overcome, to spot and to overcome you know, these uh, hindrances. And in general we can say that you know, whatever one learns you know, during the one's intensive meditation practice regarding the hindrances or you know, some of the other you know, unwholesome you know, mental states, mental defilements, this will come in handy for one's certain daily life at home. And so what do you think? Do the hindrances arise at home or not? Huh? Yes, they do. <laughs> they do very much. And so, so if one on retreat, if one has learned you know, to deal with them, you know, then outside of retreat it will be much easier you know, to you know, then overcome them. And so, you know, a quarrel at home that usually you know, may have lasted for three days now you know, lasts only for half a day. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and if one then you know, practices even more, you know, then this uh, may be a matter of just a few minutes. Now, let's go into you know, the details. The details of some of the hindrances, I'm not going to talk on sloth and torpor, you know, since most of you have uh, already uh, overcome this. Now, the way uh, this certain uh, sense desire, kama chanda nivarana, arises is not just certain uh, longing for one's near and dear ones, but also, uh, longing for or desiring, um, well, visible or visual, visible sense objects, preferably you know, desirable uh, sense objects. So, wanting to see some you know, place inside, like wanting to enjoy you know, the you know, the beauty of the nature around here, or wanting to you know, observe uh, you know, the sun rising, the sun setting, or you know, wanting to you know, watch you know, some birds and certain similar you know, things. And then um, this hindrance also manifests as uh, you know, wanting to uh, hear or listen to some you know, desirable sound of, in the form of music or in the form of you know, the sounds of nature or maybe you know, the sweet voice of some uh, dear person and so on. 
And so, uh, then we also have uh, the sense desire regarding some uh, odor, some desirable you know, odor, you know, be it of a rose or you know, be it of uh, you know, some um, perfume or uh, what's, uh, whatever else. And certain so, you know, desire, you know, lots of desire might arise around food and certainly so, you know, then also around so, you know, pleasant or desirable tactile uh, experiences. And, <coughs> you know, and a sense desire and may arise even on a mental level. So even though one is not aware of anything you know, material uh, in the form of uh, sight, sounds, or you know, orders, uh, but uh, you know, just some you know, desirable you know, memory arises or, or you know, some you know, desirable um, image arises and then you know, one you know, craves for it. Now, this hindrance of sense desire covers a variety of uh, well mental or aspects such as wanting, delighting, longing for, desire, and then liking, wishing, and then preferring and so on. So there's certain you know, you know, variety you know, there. And in the face of you know, those, or in the presence of you know, those you know, desirable objects and in the presence of sense desire, the mind will not be able to observe the predominant, most predominant object properly. Because, let's say you're observing some, you know, the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, or, or some other object, it doesn't matter, and then sense desire you know, comes in. You know, the sense desire will pull your mind away from you know, the primary object and uh, as a result of this you know, your you know, mind will not uh, go in the right or your practice will not go in the right direction. Now, the characteristic of uh, this, uh, this sense desire, Kamachanda, is grasping an object. And uh, so, uh, to make it very clear, it's not letting go of an object, but grasping an object. And the function of uh, the sense desire is sticking, namely sticking to you know, the object and some. Uh, you know, the illustration given for this is like uh, the meat sticks to uh, a frying pan that doesn't have enough uh, oil in it. And the, you know, the sense desire manifests as not giving up. And the 
the proximate cause for the arising of you know, this hindrance of sense desire or sense desire in general is seeing enjoyment in things that actually lead to bondage. So under you know, what under normal circumstances you know, from an ordinary worldling's point of view looks like uh, you know quite okay um, from a supermundane point of view uh, actually uh, maybe an object that certainly we are in bondage with so we're enslaved to that object now an illustration that has been frequently given for the manifestation of sense desire is the following. Remember, the manifestation was as not giving up. Now, apparently, in Asia, there is a way of catching monkeys, and this is done by taking a coconut, and then, and then. You know, making an or you know, making an opening into that uh, uh, coconut and placing uh, a banana in there, and so, you know, then at the opposite end of the of the opening, uh, you know, there'll be another hole, and so, you know, you know, uh, a rope will be tie- tied you know, to the you know, coconut, and so, you know, then the coconut will be attached to some tree you know, somewhere in the forest. And so, you know, the hunter will you know, and then you know, go away, and suddenly sooner or later, you know, some monkey you know, will show up and find this wonderful coconut. And uh, playing with it uh, or investigating it for a while, you know, will discover that there's a wonderful you know, uh, banana right in there. And the monkey will then you know, put its uh, hands uh, into the coconut, grasp you know, the you know, banana, and um, you know, then will not uh, let go of the banana, and so, uh, then at that point when the hunter comes, you know, the uh, you know, the amazing thing is that the monkey does not let go of uh, the banana. So there's so much attachment to it that you know, the monkey will hold on, continue to uh, you know, grasp and cling to you know, the banana even though you know, the monkey gets caught by you know, the hunter. All that the monkey needs to do you know, would be to release you know, the banana and run off, but um, it doesn't you know, just do that. And so, so the same thing goes you know, for you know, the uh, mind that is overcome by you know, sense desire. It certainly will uh, not certainly give up. Now, there are the texts that we say, namely in the Samyutta Nikaya 46, uh, you know, Sutta 51, you know, says. Uh, there is a nourishment for you know, essential desire, desire, and there's also a denourishing of it. So, if one keeps 
paying attention to some things that desirable objects and when, you know, when one is not mindful of you know, them then this will lead to the arising of sensual desire if it hasn't arisen yet and it will lead to an increase of sensual desire if it has already arisen and the denourishing of sensual desire comes by contemplating um, contemplating impure objects and not and not giving attention to desirable or being um, what was it paying wise attention to desirable objects and so in this way a desire or arisen sense desire will weaken and an unarisen sense desire will not arise so it leads to a denourishing of sense desire now the most obvious uh, way of uh, dealing with uh, the sense desire is uh, mindfulness itself and uh, here first of all to recognize the presence of uh, the hindrance now see um, with these mental states oftentimes we don't uh, recognize them we don't even we're not even aware that certain sense desire is present in the mind and so the lack of recognition then leads to a situation where the sense desire simply goes on and it might take on more and more momentum but the very moment we are mindful of the presence of certain sense desire this will make a huge difference and then this will help to gradually well observing the sense desire will gradually help to overcome it now the the commentary to the Satipatthana Sutta recommends other methods of working with and overcoming sense desire one is to learn how to do the meditation on impure objects so meditating or contemplating on the foulness the impurity the loathsomeness of the body and then secondly to actually do this contemplation of impurity and then as we discussed the other day to practice restraint of the senses while our restraint of the senses is in place sense desire cannot arise at least not with regard to external objects and the fourth way to overcome this certain sense desire is certainly given as 
also or recommended by you know, the commentary as moderation in eating. So we should not give in you know, to our desire you know, for more and more you know, delicious food, but rather be mindful you know, while eating and certain to eat only as certain much as is certain necessary you know, to you know, sustain, to maintain and certainly sustain this body and to avoid harm and to support you know, the body you know, for or to support oneself. You know, while you know, doing or undertaking you know, this certain spiritual uh, work. And then the you know, commentary also you know, recommends uh, that certain ones seek you know, you know, you know, the friendship of uh, some uh, noble you know, being, you know, preferably a person uh, who has certain, you know, very little sense desire himself or herself, or a person who is totally you know, free from you know, sense desire. And it's uh, oftentimes you know, that uh, in the company of you know, some inspiring you know, or some uh, yeah, some inspiring person, we feel compelled uh, you know, to you know, then um, uh, pre- uh, well uh, do the same thing, namely you know, to limit uh, the sense desire. And then uh, finally, the. Uh, Commentary recommends that it recommends to listen to a suitable discourse, like a discourse on the hindrances or a discourse on chitta nupasana, which is mindful contemplation of of the mind. Now, the Next hindrance is certainly that of uh, ill will, Pyapada Nivarana in the Pali scriptural language, and it comes again uh, just like uh, sense desire in a great uh, variety of uh, aspects. And uh, the sense, uh, this uh, uh, the anger covers. Uh, uh, Aspects such as aversion, hatred, disappointment, dissatisfaction, irritation, annoyance, animosity, dislike, desire to ill treat, and desire to torment, to torture, and so on. And when this the hindrance of ill will arises in one's meditation practice then easily a meditator may make a small or turn a small insignificant matter or issue into a very big issue. So it's kind of as if at this point the mind is magnifying things out of proportion. And oftentimes a meditator is not realizing what is going on. And the classical definition uh, for ill will is as follows, namely, 
ill will has the characteristic of savageness or you know, ferocity and savageness is you know, then illustrated just you know, like a provoked snake that is ready you know, to uh, attack you and you know, there are two functions to you know, this ill will one is given as uh, to spread just like uh, a drop of poison you know, will spread and the second one is to burn up its own support just like a forest fire you know, will burn up uh, all you know, the fuel in the form of you know, trees and branches and you know, the needles that have fallen you know, to you know, the ground into you know, the leaves and so the manifestation of uh, ill will or you know, hatred is uh, that you know, is uh, as persecuting, just like an enemy you know, would you know, go um, after uh, an opponent when having uh, a good uh, opportunity to do so, and. The proximate cause for the arising of uh, ill will is given as any ground for annoyance. So, Agatha Watu in the Pali scriptural language. And so, you know, the, the last discourse of the you know, Diga the long discourses of the Buddha, namely you know, the, in the Samgiti Sutta, we find nine uh, causes you know, for or grounds for. For uh, annoyance. However, those uh, the nine you know, cause or grounds are not the only ones. Basically, the nature of the mind is such that anything will do you know, to uh, you know, spark our anger. So, as so illustrated earlier on, we may get totally upset about a fellow meditator sniffing, or we may also get upset when a meditator cuts in line during while we're lining up for breakfast or lunch, or the same thing may happen on an uh, on an interstate in Los Angeles when we're driving there and someone else is uh, uh, well taking over and then cutting in, and so, and then there or sometimes all it takes is what? Huh? Just a, a wrong word, or a word wrongly perceived. So, you know, a word, a certain sentence, you know, that uh, was intended to mean you know, something positive, but suddenly uh, uh, gets perceived wrongly, and uh, uh, anger springs up uh, in the mind. So, this happens much more quickly you know, than uh, we you know, may you know, think. And there are, as usual, you know, things that lead you know, to the nourishing of ill will, and there are also things that lead to the denourishing of uh, ill will. And you know, so, 
when some ground for aversion has arisen, not paying attention to it. So, in the presence of unwise attention thinking, oh well, it doesn't matter if I'm just a little bit angry. Um, then you know, this the initial anger you know, may you know, then turn into uh, a great uh, rage. And so the denourishing of ill will you know, is given as so, no, no, or it no, comes through no, loving kindness, the practice of uh, loving kindness. And the Buddha says, mm, cultivate uh, the meditation on loving kindness, for by cultivating the meditation on loving kindness, ill will uh, no, disappears. Now, Some of the you know, ways of overcoming you know, this uh, hindrance of ill will uh, are the following, namely, as certain uh, usual, mindfulness itself, and then secondly, learning you know, the you know, meditation on loving kindness, then thirdly, actually doing it, and you know, then and also you know, considering that one is the owner of uh, one's certain uh, deeds. So, in the end, if one you know, does perform uh, some unwholesome act out of anger, you know, then one should certainly be well aware that this will have negative uh, consequences. Uh, so, Vipaka will be there. And this point is very important you know, to bring to the mind of those who are fighting, you know, fighting an insurgency or you know, government forces that you know, then uh, are counter-fighting you know, the, you know, the you know, an insurgency. So especially you know, when you know, people you know, or, or larger groups of people get at each other and so trying to uh, take each other's uh, lives. And so uh, the act of killing is clearly a heinous act and so, uh, brings uh, tremendous karmic uh, consequences uh, with it. Now, uh, the Commentary to the Satipatthana Sutta recommends wise consideration as another form of dealing with ill will. And in the sense that if one um, gets angry, or if one is angry and suddenly then acts on one's anger you know, by wanting to harm another person, you know, then it's like you know, throwing sand into the wind. The sand will do what? It will come back and fall right onto one's own head. So the first one to suffer uh, is the person who throws uh, the sand into uh, the wind. And so, so uh, keep in mind uh, that uh, when we uh, uh, well uh, when we try to inflict uh, some harm on another uh, being, we are the ones uh, to uh, get harmed first before uh, we can actually harm another person. 
know, the commentary has uh, a very clear illustration for this. It's like you know, being angry and then getting hold of some or grabbing some burning, glowing coals and intending to throw you know, these at one's opponent. Who will you know, get burned first? Well, the person who throws them. And so then you know, noble friendship and so, you know, listening to proper discourse so, as usual uh, are other ways of overcoming you know, this so, you know, ill will. Now, the next hindrance is so, you know, that of uh, restlessness. Restlessness and uh, remorse. And uh, as human beings, we, as unenlightened human beings, we tend to uh, carry a lot of restlessness uh, around uh, with us. And so oftentimes, people don't even realize this. And they think it's quite normal to scratch here, to scratch there, to shift the posture this way, that way, open the eyes, close the eyes, from sitting to jump into the standing posture, and then from there into the walking posture, and then into the lying posture, and so on and so forth. Now, these are just external manifestations of restlessness. Actually, almost worse is the mental manifestation or the mental form of or mental restlessness, which comes as the inability to stay with one you know, predominant object of observation for a longer period of time. And instead, what does the mind do? You focus it on you know, your predominant object, and instead, uh, it goes somewhere else. It flits here, it flits there, it goes into the future, it goes into the past, but it doesn't stay you know, with the object that you, you know, want it you know, to be with. And this then is rather uh, unsatisfactory. Now, the mental state of restlessness is defined as possessing or having the characteristic of disquietude of the mind. And you know, its function is certainly pretty obvious, namely you know, to you know, make the mind steady. So to make, you know, in the case of tranquility, the opposite of restlessness, its function is to steady the mind, to crush the disquietude. Here, the mental state or mental factor of uh, restlessness does the opposite. It does everything you know, to whip up you know, the mind. And so then it manifests as certain turmoil. Turmoil in the mind. Now, unless we have experienced for ourselves the, the stillness of the mind, some amount of silence of the mind, we will not realize how much turmoil is going on in the mind. 
and so learning frequent learning about the mind frequently occurs by way of contrast and seeing first thing one opposite and then seeing the other opposite and it is then in the in comparing both certain extremes that it becomes obvious how much restlessness or how much turmoil was going on in the mind. Now, the proximate or nearest cause for the arising of restlessness is given as unwise attention and so if said like this you might not understand what is meant Um, and what this points to is simply in the case of some disquietude of the mind or turmoil in the mind thinking oh this is quite okay this is the natural state of affairs let the mind be flitting or let it go here and there what's wrong with this it's always been like this so why change it why work towards tranquility so that would be unwise attention wise attention is realizing that this flitting of the mind is actually undesirable it's unwholesome it's not very beneficial and then you make a concerted effort to bring the mind back into the primary object again and again now both these mental states namely restlessness as well as worry manifest in the mind as agitation and so restlessness and worry are somewhat similar although not quite the characteristic of worry is subsequent regret so one has done or said something that then later on one regrets and the function of worry is to feel sorrow and to, sorry, to feel sorry or the sorrow that arises based on what one has or has not certainly done and um, worry manifests as certain remorse and the proximate certain cause for the arising of worry lies in the wrongs of commission and omission now this certainly needs some further explanation the wrongs of commission and omission points to um, having done some wrong in the past having said some done something or said something that later on one realizes wasn't all that skillful and the other case is of realizing that maybe five years ago one just missed a wonderful opportunity to do something wholesome and so it's a missed opportunity and for both of these mental states, uh, worry as well as uh, restlessness, the opposing factor is uh, tranquility, basadi in the Pali scriptural language. Now, 
Uh, a meditator may experience a fair amount of or you know, uh, stronger dose of restlessness and uh, worry in the first insight knowledge, in the third insight knowledge, and then in the ninth insight knowledge, and also in the tenth insight knowledge. Now, so at various points in one's certain meditation practice, you know, will you know, these two you know, mental defilements or this hindrance of restlessness and remorse uh, come up. And for you to recognize it quickly and then you know, to work with it and to, to, you know, to overcome it uh, as quickly as possible. Now, um, some other causes are there you know, for you know, the arising of uh, you know, restlessness and remorse. For you know, restlessness, for one thing, it's the unwise attention, as discussed already. And then, you know, secondly, excessive effort. So an imbalance between effort and concentration, which uh, you know, um, usually is said to lead to you know, restlessness, and indeed uh, this happens. It happens just like this. And you know, the Buddha furthermore you know, in the Anguttara Nikaya you know, 4 you know, section 87 you know, mentions provocative talk. So if, uh, on, if while one is on retreat and one then you know, disregards noble silence and gets into some, um, some discussion with another person uh, then something may, might be said that uh, uh, well is somewhat pro- provocative, and uh, that then uh, might uh, lead to, or uh, will might lead to, you know, the arising of restlessness. And so, causes for you know, the arising of remorse or worry are, as uh, mentioned, the wrongs of commission and omission. And then also, and this is important, a clarity concerning you know, the Dhamma. So, a lack, sorry, a lack of clarity concerning you know, the Dhamma. So, not understanding a certain point properly, and certainly thinking that one has done something wrong, when in fact certainly maybe one hasn't done anything uh, wrong. Now, the usual ways of uh, overcoming this restlessness and remorse are through mindfulness, then through much learning, investigation, and then familiarity (coughs) with uh, an ethical code of uh, conduct. So, restlessness and remorse uh, may arise because one doesn't quite know how to interpret a certain rule is should I or should I not do certain something and certainly then furthermore association with mature people good friendship and suitable talk now now just for general knowledge the restlessness that you might be experiencing once in a while will be around for a little longer. And what do you think, how long? (laughs) In terms of years or particular experience? 
Ah, there comes the right answer. Arahanship name, so the attainment of arahanship. And you know, it's only through the attainment of arahanship you know, that, you know, through the path of arahanship, you know, that the you know, mental you know, defilement of restlessness you know, gets uprooted you know, from the mind once and you know, forever. And so in the case of you know, worry, kukucha, you know, we are somewhat fortunate we don't have to practice that far and uh, you know, the third level of enlightenment uh, uh, is enough but uh, this is difficult now um, the last hindrance is uh, that of skeptical doubt and uh, I'll try to you know, cut it short you know, the Dhamma Sangani and this is interesting uh, includes under doubt uncertainty and so uncertainty you know, regarding that many things uh, uncertainty regarding um, what is wholesome and unwholesome and so as long as this uncertainty is there you know, then you know, doubts uh, uh, will be you know, there and, and the mind will be you know, wavering now, other synonyms for um, uncertainty are you know, being doubtful, perplexity, and you know, then very nicely expressed, being in two minds. Why is this? Being in two minds or of two minds? Well, um, the mind has uh, at least two options or more you know, to choose from and it's going back and forth between option A, B and C and possibly even uh, D. And so, so as long as this is happening, um, the mind you know, is not settled on uh, one option. And uh, this then um, you know, is called indecisiveness, the inability to make up uh, one's uh, mind, the inability to come to a definite certain uh, decision, and uh, hesitation and wavering and certain uh, mental stiffness caused by uh, indecision, vexation of the mind is certainly also uh, another uh, another you know, way of um, putting it, and um, well, criticism would uh, be uh, would also come under doubt, under you know, skeptical doubt, and. Uh, what meditators report frequently is the comparing mind, comparing this practice you know, to another practice that you, know, you may have done uh, at some other you know, time. And the objects of uh, one's doubt uh, may extend you know, to, and, or it's not you know, doubt you know, whether it's going to you know, rain tomorrow or not, uh, but doubt from a religious point of view. And uh, so, doubt about you know, the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, you know, doubt about you know, the meditation method, and you know, then also you know, doubt 
about the past and future existences and the texts mentioned in the Majima Nikaya Sutta 2 paragraph 7 we find questions such as was I in the past was I not in the past what was I in the past how was I in the past and then the same thing for the future and then things like am I am I not so what am I how am I and so on so the and like I had mentioned earlier on doubt oftentimes comes in the form of uh, questions and so the mind is plagued you know, by these questions and you know, the inability you know, to make up uh, one's uh, mind And so, for meditators, um, well, then by extension, another manifestation is there for doubt, not just comparing the methods, but then also debating back and forth, should I stay or should I not stay? And this is a topic that at least twice or thrice comes up during one's intensive meditation practice. And it's really important you know, to remember or to recognize you know, the doubt as such and uh, not to you know, fall prey to it. <clears throat> now, the text also you know, points out that by you know, doubt, you know, we can you know, distinguish between intellectual doubt and ethical doubt and so what is meant here is you know, the uh, ethical doubt or skeptical doubt and not the you know, method, method, methodical you know, doubt so you know, doubt about the method uh, doubt about the method uh, the Buddha actually you know, did so, you know, encourage you will you know, have heard of the Kalama Sutta you know, where you know, the Buddha you know, very much you know, encourages people to question uh, his certain teachings and certain to accept only what one has found personally you know, to be you know, true. Now, the characteristic of uh, doubt is uh, simply doubting, and uh, the function of it is wavering, is to waver, and the manifestation of it is uh, as indecisiveness or as taking sides. And uh, the proximate cause for the arising of doubt is given as unwise attention. And the skeptical doubt can be detrimental to one's certain meditation practice if one is not certainly careful, if one doesn't recognize it quickly enough. Now, the ordinary ways of overcoming <coughs> this certain skeptical doubt is by way of mindfulness and then by being knowledgeable about the Buddhist or Buddhist texts and something you know, then uh, seeking a clarification um, of uh, you know, the discourses you know, through you know, questioning 
and then being well versed with ethical conduct and then strong commitment in the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha and having good friends and suitable conversation. Now there are many other things that could be said about Dhamma, but we're running uh, out of time. Now in general, we can say that when uh, doubt is uh, well established in the mind, then uh, faith will have a hard time to arise. And so, if you happen you know, to be one of those who is you know, rather critical and you know, always doubting you know, many, you know, many different things, then um, you know, this you know, will make you know, the meditation somewhat difficult. And then you should you know, start to work with that you know, doubting mind, and so you know, and then you should try to well, you should work with it and try to be uh, mindful of it and try to overcome it. And when there is much uh, doubting, then this paves the way to to, much thinking. And uh, when there's much uh, thinking, then it goes uh, without saying that uh, one's practice can't uh, develop properly. And... uh, uh, another practical observation that the Venerable Side Upandita likes to you know, point out to or, or likes to mention is when a meditator is uh, not you know, working well, you know, diligent enough and uh, with you know, you know, appropriate uh, you know, amount of uh, effort, and then the experiences will be you know, somewhat unclear and based on unclear experiences, well, there'll be much skeptical doubt, and then this will lead to no, or to the absence of faith. And whereas, on the positive side, if uh, we practice you know, with much diligence and uh, you know, a fair amount of effort and good mindfulness and so on, you know, then we'll have clear-cut experiences. Clear-cut experiences will inspire us and uh, will you know, lead to the arising of faith and so, um, and you know, that then you know, will lead us to make even more effort in the practice. Now, should one uh, experience plenty of doubt you know, over and over again, then one could take uh, you know, the doubt itself you know, as uh, one's teacher, and uh, one then kind of does a study into you know, this mental state of doubt. One you know, then you know, observes very careful, you know, carefully what are the conditions that precede the doubting mind, and uh, then when you know, doubt has 
has arisen. What are the ways and means of uh, successful you know, you know, ways and means of overcoming you know, the doubt? And then you know, gradually one becomes more and more familiar with it, and so you know, eventually you know, doubt shouldn't be a problem anymore. And so also it helps to you know, realize that whatever project one is involved in, if one does it with a doubting mind, then one won't, one will not be able to apply oneself to it wholeheartedly. So if 50% of our, of one's mental energy goes into doubts, is this project of mine that I'm involved in, let's say some PR project for something useless, um, and then, um, is this really all that beneficial? And then one will not do it wholeheartedly. Uh, likewise for the meditation practice, if the mind is ridden by, uh, by doubts about uh, you know, the benefits of the meditation practice and uh, uh, one's own ability and so on, then um, one um, can put uh, all of one's heart and, and mind into the practice and uh, you know, the practice you know, won't be you know, that uh, clear-cut. Now, these are just uh, some ways of uh, um, you know, working with, you know, with doubt. There would be more to say, but uh, you know, time uh, doesn't permit. So, let me conclude today's uh, Dhamma talk on you know, the you know, five uh, the hindrances you know, by you know, wishing that may all of you, as... Uh, uh, mentioned in the Satipatthana Sutta, you know, be aware of uh, the presence of uh, you know, the hindrances, and uh, may you also be aware or mindful of the absence uh, of the hindrances when they are absent, and uh, you know, thus you know, being mindful of the presence of the hindrances may it uh, you know, lead you, you know, to, um, or may you then. Uh, be able to overcome those same you know, hindrances and uh, you know, thus with a mind uh, you know, purified and uh, a mind that is uh, you know, much lighter, more you know, pliant uh, and uh, you know, workable, um, may you uh, develop your practice further and uh, further until you know, finally you know, the experience of the peace of Nibbana becomes uh, your own. And this is it for tonight. Okay. You have any questions or comments? Yes, please. You know, the one that I have the most trouble with yeah. is sloth and torpor. Oh. Yes. I don't, I, you know, I don't know what about that, but I, I hope that you'll talk to me at this. Well, with with a soft and torpor, it's uh, that leads you know, to um, to. Um, 
a rather lethargic state of mind, uh, an inactive state of mind, and so, uh, in the case of sloth, your mind suddenly will be sinking, literally sinking, sinking from an active uh, state to a rather increasingly uh, inactive state. And so, then the you know, proximate, and so in the case of torpor, you know, the you know, manifestation you know, comes as uh, uh, well as boredom and uh, as uh, dullness of the mind, as uh, sluggishness of uh, the mind, you know, drooping, you know, nodding, and so on. And an unwise attention you know, to you know, both of you know, to, to, to these to the sinking mind and uh, you know, to you know, the sluggishness and so on uh, leads to you know, the arising of you know, sloth and torpor and um, when in, in the case of fitness, sloth, if I'm not mistaken, it's, uh, um, well, you know, takes uh, you know, the driving, uh, it kind of drains uh, the driving force of uh, the mind. Now, when the sloth and torpor have arisen, um, then we need to be mind. We we need to we need to catch the sloth and torpor while it is approaching. Um, once it's there, full fully or full fledged, then there's not much that we can do. Then we're kind of like uh, uh, prisoners. Um, but. As it is approaching, it's useful to you know, recognize it quickly and then to be mindful of it, to label it, to observe it uh, as best as we can. And um, if mindfulness is strong enough, you know, then, um, you know, then the sloth and torpor will you know, disappear. Now, if mindfulness is not strong enough, you know, then uh, we need to you know, maybe exert more effort. And so simply trying harder, and so, you know, you know, one more moment of uh, propelling the mind towards the observing mind towards the object, and again another moment that we you know, send the mind towards the object. So this is done over and over again, and. And other ways of dispelling sloth and torpor are you know, by, uh, as the Venerable Sainte Uvanita likes to point out, um, apart from effort, also aiming, namely you know, precisely aiming you know, the mind at uh, you know, the um, predominant object of observation, and this aiming has an, has the tendency of for, um, well, opening up the mind. And a sloth and torpor are you know, said to you know, lead to a shrinking of uh, you know, the mind. The mind is shrinking, it's withering. 
and so, you know, so you know, by applying it, you know, um, aiming, you know, this changes the picture. Also, by you know, applying effort, you know, the heat of ardent uh, effort, uh, this will also get the mind uh, going, the kind of inactive uh, uh, mind. And so then, what else can you do? Mm. Well, you could intentionally, now let's say you're observing the rising and falling over and over again, and so just two, two objects, and so, you know, then a certain boredom arises, and then you know, based on this sloth and torpor, it you know, comes in. You know, then you could consider you know, observing you know, different objects, main objects, uh, in, a, uh, in a row, in a sequence, such as rising, falling, sitting, you know, touching, and then again, rising, falling, sitting, touching. So sometimes that helps to overcome the sloth and torpor. And so, uh, then what else could you do? Yeah, well, make sure that you're, you know, oftentimes with the sloth and torpor, the sitting posture is slouched, and uh, so by you know, straightening one's posture, you know, the you know, sloth and torpor might uh, disappear. Or you, know, you could uh, open your eyes and let the daylight you know, penetrate uh, the, uh, um, well, penetrate into the eyes, and uh, this then that might energize uh, the mind. And so, uh, then in the text another method is uh, recommended you know, if one has spent um, uh, well, much time inside of a meditation hall and let's say you know, somewhat darker in there uh, then one could go outside and in particular at night look at the stars and uh, in this way um, you know, this might help to overcome uh, the sleepiness I do find that the walking meditation outside. Yes. I don't know. I, I work better. Yeah, then you know, use that. No. Now then, uh, if you find suddenly that you know, sitting after sitting, you're you know, you're nodding, you know, nodding off, you know, um, then do more walking meditation. And this will help to um, you know, then uh, energize or to get your you know, both your body and your mind going. And uh, then there are other methods around, uh, you know, like uh, you know, the texts uh, recommend pulling one's earlobes or you know, sprinkling water, cold water into the face, or you know, what, what I oftentimes recommend is you know, to do standing meditation uh, either on one's cushion or next to it for you know, 15 to 20 minutes with uh, eyes closed. And in standing meditation there's always the danger of losing one's balance. And falling over and uh, you know, this um, you know, this in most cases uh, you know, does the trick yeah, but there are meditators who are so tired you know, that uh, you know, even standing meditation doesn't work and, uh, and then when I recommend walking meditation they say they fall asleep while walking <laughs> and, uh, so um, you've got a few you know, a few ways there, you know, ways and means to you know, overcome sloth and torpor. Then, what else? Yes? When a hindrance appears, I'm thinking especially about restlessness. Yes? Do you 
try to fight it and mindfully um, make it disappear, or do you just use mindfulness and let it run its course? No, you do the second, namely, uh, uh, you try to be mindful of it and uh, you observe it as best as you can. unless the restlessness becomes really excessive and out of control. So as a last resort, you can simply just cut it off. No. So with restlessness as well as the other hindrances, it's good, especially in the beginning, to work with it, to observe it for a fair amount of time to get to know the respective hindrance, and then, and then, or only if a hindrance becomes excessive, out of control, then to cut it off. Anything else? Okay, if there are no further comments, then uh, maybe this much for tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.